Hi everybody, my name is Victoria Brown. A warm welcome to my very first uh, video that I'm gonna be doing on my Instagram. Now I wanted to pop on and say hello and introduce myself. Uh, now, as I said, I'm Victoria Brown, but many people know me by many different names. So you might have heard of me as Dougal. You might have heard of me as Vic. You might have heard Vix. You probably, if you're a, um, in a friendship circle of mine, will have heard me called Murray or The Murray. Um, you may have heard me be called Vict Murr, and that's an amalgamation of my first name, Victoria, and my maiden name, which was Murray. Vict Murr dates back to about 1996. Um, so a variety of different names, but what you will never hear me called is Vicky. Not a Vicky. I don't have any problem with the name Vicky. It's just not my name. So a variety of different things. Victoria, Vic, Vix, Murray, Dougal, Victmer, all sorts of different things you'll hear me called. Um, and any of those goes. So whichever one you feel comfortable with, I'm happy for you to call me that. Um, I introduced myself as Victoria, so I don't know where all these other spin-offs come from. But I see it as a sign of affection, so that's fine by me. Now, I am um, married. I am married to a great guy called Paul. I'm a stepmom. I have a wonderful little spaniel who you've probably seen quite a bit of. I have a fabulous horse called Bertie who is now retired. He's 30 and he's looked after fabulously at a brilliant place called Cheshire Retirement Livery. So if you do have a horse that's getting on a bit and you don't quite know what to do and you're weighing up your options, I definitely would check them out. They take horses from all over the world and they are absolutely brilliant. Their care is top notch. So my background um, is in um, as an executive assistant and I loved, I loved, I loved what I did. Now I was brought up by parents who had a brilliant work ethic. I was brought up by parents who pulled together as a team and they were ambitious. They wanted the best for their family and they worked extremely hard. So my exec assistant background actually stems from time I spent with my dad as a child. So he was a loss adjuster. He had his own firm. He started off working in Liverpool um, and then went down to London and he'd worked in London for a number of years and then he decided to strike out on his own with some partners. Now that is that entrepreneurial spirit that I think was ingrained in me as a young girl. That Striking out on your own, not having to listen to other people, not having to um, dance to somebody else's tune, if you like. But he had such a laser focus. He was so committed to what he was doing. And I used to go to work with him. I used to go to work with him if he was working on a Saturday, which was rare because he always ring-fenced the weekends to spend with his family. But occasionally he'd have to go into the office and I went with him. And I would sit at his PA's desk and I would play on her manual typewriter. And I'd play on her manual typewriter. And I would probably rearrange her desk. She was very patient. She never complained about that. Um, but I don't know, actually, whether I went with my dad because I badgered him and pestered him and said, oh, please, can I come with you into the office? Or whether he invited me and took me along. So I'm not quite sure. I have to find out from him what what came first um 
But I remember school holidays, I used to go in and his um, PA Nada, who was absolutely awesome, she was with him for years. So I grew up with Nada and she used to um, give me tasks to do. She used to set me off around the office, doing photocopying, filing, writing out checks. I remember writing out checks. And I think the first check I ever wrote out was in my dad's office. Um, so I remember all sorts of things, fabulous experiences. The older I got, the more responsibility I was given. And actually it got to the stage where I was commuting into London from our home in Hertfordshire, whether my dad was in the office or not. So he would set me up with work and people in his office that I could go in and work with and shadow and be taken under their wing and start earning a little bit of money. Um, and I would commute on my own. And I thought that was so grown up. I was only in my, I probably wouldn't do it nowadays, but I was probably only about maybe 15, 14, 15. And I was commuting in from Hertfordshire into um, Tower Hill, and his business was just a short walk from there. So I absolutely loved it. I loved that sense of independence. I loved that sense of um, being valued. I loved the office camaraderie. I loved what Nada did in terms of support. Um, and so I think that when I got um, spectacular A-level results, which consisted of one letter, which was universally you. I was absolutely appalling at my A-levels. Not something I'm proud of, but exam results aren't the be-all and end-all, which is just as well. But because I'd had this office experience, because I'd had this working experience, because I'd been brought up by parents who were um, very committed it gave me a sense of wanting to go into London, wanting to go and work in an office environment. And that was kind of my focus. So luckily for me, when I got my uh, disastrous A-level results, which I'm pleased to say my parents didn't fall out with me about. They were very, very supportive. Um, but it was made very clear to me that actually everything I'd enjoyed up to the point of 18 was on the back of my parents' hard work. And the world owed me absolutely nothing and that I had to find my own path with their support, but find my own path I had to do. So luckily they packed me off to a brilliant business and secretarial college in Oxford uh, called St Aldates. I don't know if it's still around today, but that's where I went for a full academic year and learned the skills required to run as a PA or EA at that senior level. So I started off straight away when I'd finished my year there. I worked so hard, there was no way I was gonna be letting my parents down again. Absolutely no way. Um, and uh, I'm letting myself down as well because actually I needed to be able to offer some skill in exchange for money and I needed to be able to live. So I went off and I got my first job in London and actually it was my mum that saw the advert in the Times and it said jet setters travel the world and organise Grand Prix and I thought oh that sounds a bit sexy what's all that about but it was in the days when you could specify what age you wanted somebody to be you could basically write exactly what you wanted from a person not just what the job offered um, and I was 19 and they wanted somebody that was about 30, 35. And me, being me, thought, well, what on earth can they do that I can't? 
I've just finished college. I've got all these incredible skills. I'm bright, I'm shiny, I'm new, I'm enthusiastic. Let me at it. And so I applied for the job and blow me, I got an interview. And I went along for the interview and I was interviewed by a very lovely lady called Penny. Um, and she said, hmm, yeah, hold on, just stay there one moment. And she stuck her head round the door of the guy that I was going to be working for, because I was getting that job. She stuck her head round the door and she said, I want you to meet this girl. Can I send her through? So, yes, you could. So off I went, went through the next door and sat opposite a formidable guy, um, quite diminutive in stature, but then again, so am I. Um, and he sat across from me as on a great big glass desk. Not a lot on the desk, but it was a great big glass desk and he was obviously extremely important. We had a chat. He asked me, what do you know about Formula One? And actually I didn't really know anything. In fact, I knew nothing. We didn't have Google. And uh, I said, well, it's on on a Sunday, and this year's is in France, because I'd heard my dad and brother talking about the French Grand Prix. So I assumed that it was an annual event, and it moved around the world. So I thought, got that one. Didn't see that coming. So that was that. And I was off for the job, and I was ecstatic, because I had a job. Not because necessarily I was interested in Formula One, or I wanted that particular job. I had a job. I was working in Knightsbridge. I was commuting. I was a fully-fledged grown-up, and I was so proud of myself. Um, so I went home, said to my mum and dad, got the job, starting on Monday, and off I toddled for my first week day and my second day. And I went in, and I did the work, and I came home, and I went in, and I did the work, and I came home. And uh, my dad said, who is it that you're working for exactly? I know that you're working at Formula One, but who exactly are you working for? I said, oh, Bernie Eccleston. And my dad said, pardon Bernie Eccleston? I said, yeah, do you know him? He's like, oh, well, he's quite, quite well known. He's like, oh, okay. Well, it transpires that I was probably given this job because what do you know about Formula One? Absolutely nothing. Straight over my head. Therefore, I wasn't going to be impressed. I wasn't going to have my head turned. I was going to be doing the work for work's sake. I wasn't there as a fan. I wasn't there as a groupie. And it was exactly what they needed. Um, and so it worked really well. Um, so I worked for Bernie Eccleston. He described me as his weeble. I don't know if you're old enough on this video to know about weebles, but weebles wobble and they don't fall down. And Bernie Eccleston, as I said, is a formidable man. And sometimes there can be quite a whew that comes from him. And I would be taken aback and then I'd be straight back for more. So never knocked over. Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. And that is something that I have maintained throughout my working life. That weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. You cannot ever, ever afford to let anything or anybody knock you off your stride indefinitely. Wobble, for sure. Wobble all the way down to the ground, for sure. But make sure that you come straight back up again. And always bear in mind that you actually are a weeble with that very heavy base. And if you don't know what a weeble is, I'm sure if you Googled it, you'd find out. But it's essentially a children's toy. It's a weighted toy at the bottom. And they wobble, they wobble, they wobble. But it's absolutely impossible to knock them over. And that was me when I started work at the age of 19. So I loved what I did. I worked in some brilliant industries. I was an executive assistant. I went straight in at 
Bernie Eccleston level. So I was always at CEO and board level or vice president level or whatever, depending on the company, the structure um, and the culture. So I was always running at that pace in London and I absolutely loved it. I loved the fact that working at that senior level, you're involved in everything. You are privy to certain information. You were expected to work with, you know, in confidential circumstances. You could be relied upon, you could be trusted. And I loved that. I loved working in partnership with people who knew where they were going. I didn't feel like I was just churning the work out for churning the work out's sake. I felt valued. I felt as though, oh, there goes my tripod. I felt valued. I felt as though I contributed. I felt as though I was needed. And I felt that I played an important role within the organization. So I worked in Formula One. I worked in um, power stations for a company called Intergen, where I worked there from 1996 to 2000. And I absolutely loved that job. And in fact, some of my closest friends today are friends that I made while I worked there. I was there for four years, but we developed such strong friendships. And I've got friends all over the world now as a result of that. I've got friends in America, Singapore, um, Australia, all over the place, New Zealand. So it was a really, really good grounding for me. And I'm going to do another video at some point, and I'm going to talk to you about choices and options and when I chose to work for Intergen and what that meant for me. But some of the friendships have come from there have been absolutely awesome. Um, I went from there to a company called Capital and Regional, and I worked for the subsidiary called The Junction, and I worked for an awesome guy called Andy. Absolutely loved him. Loved him from the minute I met him at the interview because I've always viewed interviews as a two-way thing. And I don't think many people do that, particularly these days. And I know that jobs aren't... Um, you know, as abundant as they once were. But I always worked on the situations, do I want to spend the best part of my week with you? Do I really want to commit all that time to working with you? Do you excite me? Do you fill me with joy? Because if you don't, I ain't giving you my time. Because time is something you can never, ever, ever, ever get back. And I loved Andy as soon as I met him at the interview. I just thought, oh, you are just brilliant. And I had the most amount of fun with him. So we had a great, great time together. But as I was working there, commuting into London, I didn't live any further away from the office than I had when I started when I was 19 and I was nearly 30 at this stage and I didn't live any further away but my commute went from an hour to almost two hours a day on a really bad day it could have been four hours one way and it was just unbearable and it needn't have been it needed to be half an hour on the train half an hour on the tube with a bit of a walk at one end and a bit of a drive at the other end and that's all it really needed to be but with the sheer volume of people trying to get into London squeeze onto the canister of doom as I used to call it as I used to board it and then be dragged into London it got to the stage where it was no longer shiny it no longer made me happy it no longer served its purpose um, I was being paid great but I was actually giving far more time than my pay uh, represented 
And it got to the stage where mm, I was dissatisfied. I was really, really getting to the stage where I was desperately unhappy. Not because I didn't love my boss, not because I didn't love my colleagues, not because I didn't love the industry, and not because I didn't love what I did and love the team that I worked with. I was just dissatisfied at the enormous chunk of time it was taking out of my life. And the fact actually that there was no switching off. Um, it got to the stage where we were all having the internet at home. It seems to mad now to think that we were in a situation where we didn't have the internet at home we have mobile phones and it, it you were it was just in it was constant it was constant overload it was constant commuting hell it was constant getting home in the pitch black in the pouring rain and my car was at the far end of the car park or I hadn't even been able to get my car into the car park and it was parked somewhere in town where it shouldn't have been but I'd had to abandon it and I knew I would be getting back to a car parking fine a ticket that I would have got because there was nowhere to leave my car so I could get into work on time and these grinds these stresses wore me down so I took a view I was approaching my 30th birthday and I thought no way I don't have to do this anymore. I'm going to retrain as a vet. That sounded like a really good plan. And I researched it and I researched it and I researched it. And I had a folder this thick of research. And I didn't have sciences at GCSE. As we know, my A-levels were less than spectacular. And again, they weren't in sciences, which is kind of a prerequisite for being a vet researcher. Um, so I got in touch and spoke with um, Potter's Bar, the Royal Veterinary College at Potter's Bar, and said, right, if I, because I know when I'm committed, when I'm focused, when I'm determined, doesn't matter how difficult I find something, I will accomplish it. So I thought, right, okay, I'm going to have to go back to college whilst working full time and retake my GCSEs and retake my A-levels and then start to train as a vet. I'll be pushing 40 by the time I qualify, but I think that's what will make me happy. So I spoke to Potter's Bar and I asked them if I got the grades required at A-level, would they just give me guaranteed access as a mature student? And the answer was no. So I don't think I want to commit to doing my GCSEs to then enable me to do my A-levels and then have to go through the interview process with everybody else, get the required grades, and then I may not even be offered a place. And for me, that just seemed, it, just, it wasn't worth it because what the hell would I be doing with the sciences then if I wasn't going to be a vet? It was just a pointless exercise. However, horses were my thing. And I thought, well, it's only really the horses and the large animals that I want to work with. I'm not really interested in castrating rabbits. Um, so let's look at a more specific route. So I had a look and equine sports massage was going to be the one that I could get access to. Not easily, but it didn't have that time draw on it and that time commitment that other elements might have done. So brilliant. So I started, I applied for the course and then I was sent all this pre-course pre work that I had to do and study that I had to do to then enable me to do the practical side. So I had to do all the theory. I had to learn all the muscle groups, all the muscle plates all the bones, everything in Latin and do masses of work before I could even 
put on my steel toe cap boots and start to learn the actual massage side of things. So I did, and I passed, and I went on the course, and I qualified as an equine body worker, and I thought, I can't stay in London anymore. Now, it was my incredible parents that gave me a lifeline, and most people who are close to me know this, but some people don't, and if you don't know me, you definitely won't know this. But I was living in Hertfordshire. My parents had retired back up to Cheshire, which is where we'd all started, um, and I was on the phone to them one Sunday night, and my dad came off the phone and said to my mum, hmm, that girl's not right. There's something not right about her. I'm going down. So he got in his car, and he drove from Cheshire to Harpenden, which is where I was living, which is probably about two, two and a half hours for him, to find me at my house as an absolute gibbering, snotty, tearful mess, because I didn't know which way to turn. I had no idea what to do for the best. I had a mortgage to pay. I had car, a car to pay for. I had a commute to pay for. I had a horse to pay for. I had myself to clothe. I had myself to feed. And I was at the end of my tether because I always ran out of money before I ran out of month. I was always up to my eyeballs in debt. And I just had no way of knowing what to do for the best. So he said to me, darling, People do survive outside London, you know. And you think, my God, if people can, can't even survive in London, how the hell do they survive outside London? Because obviously the, the salaries are greater and so forth. But we have massive expenses in London. That You know, the, the huge train fares. I know there's expenses all over the country. I'm not being flippant, but you know what I mean. So it was an absolute eye-opener for me. And I sat there. And my dad will recount this story. And I sat on the sitting room floor. And he was sitting on the sofa. Oh, okay, to get all emotional. I wasn't expecting that. He sat on the sofa. And he said, come up to Cheshire. Sell your house. Give it all up. Draw a line. Start again. You're 30. Start again. You don't have to put up with this for the rest of your life. You don't have to put up with commuting into London and nearly killing yourself to do a job. And if you are commuting into London every day to pay for a house that you are leaving empty every day, to abandon a car at the car park, or to pay for a car that you're abandoning at the station every day, to buy clothes that you only wear to do that journey from hell every day, to do a job, to put food on your table, to pay for a mortgage. You are asking the wrong question, young lady. Now, I suggest you give it all up, you take a view, and you decide what you want your life to look like whilst you're still young enough to make choices. And I sat there, and my eyes filled up with tears, and I said, Daddy, that is something that you could offer and that I am really, really grateful to accept, but it is never something I would have asked for. And I never, ever would have picked up the phone and said, help. Help, I'm struggling. Help, I need your support. I never would have done that. But he threw me a lifeline. And I haven't looked back. And I moved up to Cheshire. I sold my house. I took my horse out of livery. My parents had land, which was great, so they were able to put stables up, and I, I recognised that I was very fortunate. They were able to put stables up, and they accommodated both me and my horse. And I sat in their conservatory as a qualified equine body worker, 
deciding what I was going to do in my life and putting plans in place to have a future that didn't involve selling my soul and giving up chunks of time for little or no return. And so I set to work. And I set to work as an equine body worker. And I absolutely loved what I did. I had six months at my mum and dad's just going, just decompressing, taking a view, taking stock of what I actually wanted my life to look like and put a plan in place. Now I'm going to leave it there for today because I will come back and I will update you on the next instalment. I'd only planned for it to be 20 minutes, but it's overshot by four. So thank you very much for listening. As I say, my name's Victoria Brown. If you have any questions or if you want to contact me in any way, then please do. Um, this is going to be on Instagram, so you can send me a message. Um, and there are many different ways on social media for you to contact me. So if you do have any questions, if you do want to, as they say these days, reach out um, and have a chat, then I'm always happy to do so. So thank you very much for listening today. And uh, my name is Victoria, and I look forward to catching up with you soon. Cheerio.